Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So, we've uh, come a long way here. Oh, sorry, Brett. <laughs> and we've got a, a nice variety of suttas that we've gone over. Um, a number of them are conversations that involve individuals other than the Buddha. And I think that's a unique sort of angle or something that we can all relate to. It's, it shows the integrity of the Dhamma, how it was preserved, and that it was still effective and embodied by these others that were communicating the Buddha's Dhamma. And it's almost as if the Buddha's words are coming through these, these individuals. And I think that's sort of reflective of what we do here. You know, we preserve this wonderful tradition through John's restoration of all these suttas. And that's just sort of unique to our situation. And, and it's neat that you can hear that this was taking place this many years ago with all these characters. So we have a couple of characters that uh, we're going to refer to in this sutta, and I think it takes, uh, it's worthy of discussing Ananda, who, who is actually going to be giving this teaching in this sutta. And a little bit about Ananda is probably helpful to understand who he was. Uh, he was born as the Buddhist cousin, and, you know, with that, family line, you know, his, his father was the Buddha's brother, there was probably a good deal of, um, you know, privilege to where he, the level he was born at in India, so I think he was pretty well taken care of as the Buddha was. Um, and with that, he, he had a pretty good life. Uh, he, he, he wandered around India and was known for a lot of things. Um, I have a couple of his character traits here that were attributed to him later in his life. Um, he was known for his energy and, and sort of positivity, his unflagging dedication, his memory and recitation, recitation of the Buddha's words. And later in his life, he was known as the perfect attendant. And it was about age 37 that after he'd had sort of his fill of the buffet table, uh, you know, a, a lot of those, he was known as a, a charismatic guy. And he did a lot of later work with the... Uh, with the covenants, with the nuns, and actually was really instrumental in, in sort of teaching nuns. He was known for, for that skill, but I think he had some experience prior to taking sort of the uh, spiritual path with, with nuns, and he was a, sort of a ladies' man, I believe, is what uh, the stories go. So Nanda had a bit of everything, you know, a lot of, some integrity and, and lived a, a real human life, and at age 37, he sort of sought upon himself, as others would do at that age at the time, to sort of take a look around India and, and you know, get some experience with these other teachers and so on. And um, as it would go, you know, at, at later on, uh, the Buddha's, as his life progressed, he was looking for a new attendant. And many of the, and, and let's be also clear, Ananda was not a monk uh, in the true sense. He was, over the course of his life and his career as a, as a spiritual practitioner, he was actually on sort of the same level as some of these other monks. Um, we'll get to that in a little bit. But for the most part, he was um, 
you know, at, at age 55, when the Buddha was seeking sort of his final attendant, he had, I think he all, he knew all along who it would be, um, but there was sort of this um, excitement about who the next attendant was going to be, and, and everybody was sort of doing their best and practicing hard and working on their Dhamma talks and being able to answer those questions if the Buddha ever asked them, or Sariputta or Moggallana, the other two uh, chief monks. And the day came, and, and you know everybody was sort of waiting, excited for that day to, to hear the choice of the Buddha's new attendant, and Nanda was kind of nowhere to be found and kind of just relaxing, you know, just kicking his feet up, and people were saying, you know, Aren't, don't you know what today is? And, you know, he kind of just played it off cool and just said, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm pretty confident. I know, I know, know that the right choice will be made, and sure enough, uh, the Buddha chose Ananda, and, and they ended up de- developing a really special relationship, uh, and you'll hear that throughout, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that you know, probably down the line someday, but, um, you know, the Buddha would refer to Ananda as sort of his brother, and, and I think that's the way that the Buddha would talk to him, uh, there was a certain sort of uh, you know, openness and, and love for him. It was really unique to hear. And uh, I think, you know, that, that comes through in all his teachings. And he had a really unique ability in his mind to make connections and, and understand the significance of the Dhamma and, and each, each sort of teaching. Um, and in this particular sutta, um, we've heard a couple of conversations. Last night we heard one between... Damadina and her ex-husband. Damadina was a, a female nun. Um, and we've heard some other suttas. David Sutta, I believe, is another monk. And, and some sort of monk conversations. This sutta is a little different because it's a householder that's approaching Ananda. And I think that that's unique to, to all of us. We can, we can really relate to that. We're all householders. You know, we, we, we practice the Dhamma. We come here, um, you know, but we're not monastics. And I think it's important to keep that in context, you know. So... With that said, the Buddha would explain, you know, and often refer to Ananda to help teach householders. And he would say, if you, a householder, wish to honor the Dhamma, go and honor, go and honor Ananda, the guardian of the Dhamma. And he was known to have a photographic memory, word-perfect memory, which to our benefit is the reason we have all of these suttas, because he, he recounted them all word for word and... Just, just had this amazing ability to do that. And with regards to seeing Ananda, the Buddha would say, the Buddha's words, if a party of these goes to Ananda to see him, his presence alone will give them joy. When he speaks the Dhamma to them, there will be joy for them because of his words. And again, that just shows that he was committing or communicating a pure Dhamma, committed his life to this practice, and you know, I guess as John would Ram would back me up, but I think the story is that he ended up awakening, you know, truly uh, after the Buddha's passing, and, and that's helpful for all of us as well, because we hear about Kandana instantly awakening, and we hear about Ananda, and, and that's sort of reflective of our life path, you know, somewhere along the line, you know, if we keep at this, we've got a, that's, that's a pretty inspiring thought, we've got our whole life to do this, and we're, we're doing it now, so that's, that's really impressive. So, Let's get into the sutta here, and we're going to refer back to something else. I think you'll see it'll be very effective here in explaining what might come up in this sutta. And it's a common question 
that this householder has for Ananda. And it, it'll tie in nicely with what we talked about last night in the teaching that Matt gave on what are appropriate questions, you know, going too far, and so on, and, and how the Buddha has laid out this, this path for us. The Eightfold Path is enough. You know, the Four Noble Truths are enough. Understanding the Three Marks of existence, existence is enough. Integrating that into your life is what we're, what we're practicing, what we're doing. And let's, let's see how Ananda handles an inquiry from somebody. So we have the Atta Kanagara Sutta, the single quality for awakening. On one occasion, Venerable Ananda was at Velu Vagamaka near Vasali. At the same time, a householder, Dasama, from Arakanagara, was nearby in Pataliputta on business. Completing his business, Dasama went to Kukata Monastery to ask a certain monk a question. Where is Venerable Ananda staying? I would like to see him. The monk told him where Ananda was, and Dasama left immediately for Velu Vagamaka. Upon meeting Ananda, Dasama bowed and sat to one side. He had a question for Ananda. Venerable Sir, is there a single quality taught by the Buddha to be developed so that the unreleased mind of a Dhamma practitioner who is mindful, ardent, alert, and resolute in the Dhamma, would attain release and security from the yoke of clinging to views rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths. It's quite a question the young man has here. Ananda answers, Yes, there is, friend Asama. When a Dhamma practitioner, secluded from sensuality and other skillful qualities, other unskillful qualities, excuse me, enters and remains in the first jhana, this first jhana is experienced as rapture born of that very seclusion. It is accompanied by directed thought and evaluation. Despite the pleasure of this first jhana, they understand this first jhana is fabricated, impermanent, and subject, subject to cessation. As they continue meditation, they enter this is still Ananda speaking. He's, he's got a good answer for him here. As they continue meditation, they enter and remain in the second jhana. This second jhana is experienced as rapture and pleasure, born of concentration, free of directed thought and evaluation. The joy of concentration permeates their entire mind and body. Despite the pleasure of this second jhana, they understand this second jhana is fabricated, impermanent, and subject to cessation. Ananda continues. Continuing medi meditation, they enter and remain in the third jhana, which is equanimous and mindful, a pleasant abiding. When the fading of rapture, with the fading of rapture, this pleasant abiding permeates their entire mind and body. Despite the pleasure of this third jhana, they understand. This third jhana is fabricated, impermanent, and subject to cessation. So it keeps going. Ananda's still not done yet. Continuing meditation, they enter and remain in the fourth jhana, which is pure equanimity and mindful. Being pure, 
neither pleasure nor pain is seen. They sit permeated in mind and body with pure bright awareness. Despite the pleasure of this fourth jhana, they understand this fourth jhana is fabricated, impermanent, and subject to cessation. Ananda still speaking. As concentration, or jhana, deepens, their mind is unbound, spacious, free of the confining yoke of ignorance. They are imbued with unlimited goodwill, with compassion and empathetic joy, their mind resting in equanimity. Even so, this Dhamma practitioner understands that this release through goodwill, compassion, empathetic joy, and equanimity is fabricated, impermanent, and subject to cessation. So, it's probably helpful here to, to sort of clarify, you know, the state of our mind or our mind state is, is reflective of our current level of concentration. You know, we, we, we're going to experience times when we're not well concentrated and we have to be comfortable with that. Like we said, we, we can't have aversion to having feelings arise of, of, you know, whatever they are. We have to be we have to practice. We have to practice what that feels like when they arise and when they pass away. We have to practice the same thing, like we said yesterday, when pleasurable feelings arise. Not to, tr- not to chase them, not to keep personalizing it, not to keep using it as fuel for the fire of passion, as we've been talking about. Let's continue. Ananda's still, still giving his answer here. Remaining well concentrated, they reach the end of the defilements. If they do not reach the ending of the defilements right then and there, through their continued right effort, the five lower fetters will fall away. That's right there. It just points to our practice, why we practice. If we notice these five lower fetters, then we just keep practicing. We, we, we notice that they're arising, and we, we, we try and put in our right effort. Maybe we meditate for a couple of minutes more. Try and add a minute or two, or three, or four. Maybe another sit if you have time. You know, I know that... That's what we can do. There's always the option to, to sit more than twice a day. I mean, you know, twice a day, is the, if we can do that, that's, that's ideal. If we can do more, we can do that. The five lower fetters, let me just continue. Remaining well concentrated, I'm going to repeat that. They reach the end of the defilements. If they do not reach the ending of the defilements right then and there, through their continued right effort, the five lower fetters will fall away. Self-identification is the first fetter. Grasping at rituals and practices, second fetter. Third, doubt and uncertainty. Fourth, sensual craving. And five, deluded thinking. And I think we can all relate that we've come up against all of those at some point in our practice, and we will continue to do that. Ananda keeps, keeps going here. Furthermore, Having abandoned self-identification with form, having abandoned aversion, having abandoned self-reference, now here and now there, they enter and remain in the perception of the infinitude of space and the dimension of infinite consciousness, then to the dimension of infinite nothingness, and then to the dimension of neither perception nor non-perception. And what he's describing here, what we've come to know as the four fabricated realms. These were 
common amongst the time on, on, on the Buddha's prior teachers, Alara Kalama and Yudeka Ramaputta and of the time in India, it was common practice to meditate on these things, on these other dimensions. Um, the Buddha was, was experienced in this, and we're going to get to something in a minute here that I think might help really add some clarity to that uh, at the end here. So he's, he's simply making reference to the four fabricated realms, and he's going to continue, and Nanda's going to give you a reason why I brought that up. Even here, in those four fabricated realms, they, the Dhamma practitioner, wise instructed, Understand that any phenomenon connected to five clinging aggregates, we all know what those are, form, feeling, perception, fabrication, and consciousness, even here they understand that any phenomenon connected to the five clinging aggregates is impermanent, is stressful, a dis-ease, painful, an affliction, and as such, anatta not self. Ananda keeps going here. He's still, you know, this is a really, really profound answer that he's giving. They disregard these phenomenon and incline their mind towards the cessation of ignorance. Nothing remains to provoke the becoming of further ignorance and the birth of continued suffering. This is a very complete teaching, not for this weekend, but you can hear right in that sentence, he just pretty much unpacked dependent origination for him. So he's telling him not to focus on the four fabricated realms, to focus on your fabrications, what you're doing in your life, right? Which was what the Buddha awakened to. Ananda's continuing. This, my friend, is the single quality taught by the Buddha to be developed so that the unreleased mind of a Dhamma practitioner who is mindful ardent, alert, and resolute in the Dhamma, would attain release and security from the yoke of clinging to views rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths. We could add from clinging to wrong views, right? That's, that's what those are. These, we're talking of fabrications. Another word for that is wrong views. Views that are not understanding Four Noble Truths. Upon hearing these words, the Sama remarked, Venerable Ananda, it is as if a Dhamma practitioner were seeking a single opening onto treasure and it all at once realized eleven openings to treasure. In the same way, I was seeking a single doorway to the ending of all fabrications. All at once you taught me eleven doorways I can take, all leading to the single point of cessation from fabricated views. And John's words, that the eleven doorways are the four levels of jhana, four fabricated realms, and three marks of existence. Venerable Ananda, all true teachers deserve a fee. I will, if your name is John Haspel, I will, pay, I will pay homage to you. The Sama then gathered the Sanghas from Visali and Pataliputta and prepared a feast for them. He gave a pair of cloths each, to each Sangha member and a triple robe to Ananda. He then built a dwelling for Venerable Ananda. That's the end of the sutta. And you know, the triple robe was, was sort of uh, the garment that the monks would wear. And a uh, funny story that Ananda actually got admonished one time. It was a famous uh, admonishment. The Buddha nailed him and said, you don't ever leave without your triple robe. You know, how, you know, 
So there's a couple of you know things, but he was he took it a little easy on him because it was his cousin. But um, you know, it's it's it goes back to what we said. You know, if you're a householder, you honor the preeminent householder that was in the inner circle, and that was Ananda. That that's what the Buddha was was setting him out as the exemplar for, and. You know, the, he, there's numbers of numerous suttas, but this one you really, this is a really genuine, compassionate teaching from Ananda to this, to this uh, householder here. So it's very complete, um, and I think there's something that I, I was reading that really helps to sort of, you know, and this is a common question that we've probably all had. You know, what like like last night, what's after unbinding? What's next? And you know, uh, Dhammadina says bluntly, you're going too far. You're going too far. And I think this is sort of in that neighborhood. And another character that we hear a lot from uh, that, that Ananda knew well was Sariputta. And in one of our structured studies we on Jhana, we, we talked about a sutta where Sariputta actually sat for two weeks. And this is, this is sort of putting you... This gets you to, to understand where Sariputta's understanding was. Other than the Buddha, he's probably, you know, the, the second as far as experience and, and uh, you know, in the Dhamma, you know, essentially. Wasn't, wasn't Sariputta um, Ananda's teacher? I believe so, yes. Yeah. I mean, he was the teacher of most of the monks uh, when the Buddha wasn't around. And Moggallana uh, was doing more of the out, you know, he would be, you know, going to administer the Dhamma in, in out of the temple. But mostly Sariputta was running things when the Buddha wouldn't be around. He was a pretty strict guy, but also, you know, his teachings conveyed the compassion of the Buddha. And so he sat for two weeks and developed, you know, the, what, what the Buddha would refer to as, if you want to talk about concentration, you go ask Sariputta. He's, he's, he's been there. He's been there. Don't, you know, I've got actually, he's doing other stuff. I've done that too, but Sariputta's done it. So for two weeks, Sariputta sat and sort of ties into the question that we got into last night, you know, what's after this? What's next? And Sariputta entered those four fabricated realms and he experienced their cessation and he kept returning back to the point of cessation. And he had this to say after sort of going through this and it ties right into the sutta about the lower fetters. And this is Sariputta's words, which effectively could be the Buddha's words. And you'll hear this in this. In this. Friends, if one who had been fettered by unskillful mental qualities were to develop the Dhamma and develop a pleasant abiding here and now, free, and pa- free of passions, which is, what are we doing this weekend? We're talking about the single quality, which is, Laura? Calm. Yes. Gold star. John, give me a big gold star here. (laughs) Friends, if one who had been fettered by unskillful mental qualities were to, through the Dhamma, and right practice, right view, the the Eightfold Path, etc., develop an abiding, pleasant here and now, free of passions, upon death and the breakup of the body, they would know a good destination. This is why our teacher advocates the recognition and abandonment of unskillful mental qualities. So, Sariputta is telling us that he's been there, and where you want to be is releasing from wrong views. 
Develop practicing for calm. Yes. So the the the, uh, the fine point here that the idea of Saraputta going into meditation for two weeks can be misunderstood. You're not misrepresenting, but I just want to make sure that everybody understands this. This wasn't an extraordinary meditation session. What it what it's pointing to is is the um, the minimal right effort that's taken to understand this and the reference. Could be taken that that Saraputta got into this extraordinary meditation session that lasted two weeks, and because of that intensity, he was able to recognize the fabricated realm. But that's not what it's saying. It's saying that as a consequence of his ordinary practice, after only two weeks is the best way to read this, mm. he was able to recognize his own grasping after these fabricated realms and so to abandon it. And then these fabricated realms are just as common today as they were during the Buddhist time. We tend to give them different names, but one of the most, the major school of of Buddhism, the mind-only school, the culmination of that or the realization of that entire path is emptiness or nothingness, which is something, you know, that was rejected years ago. But even the idea of some type of salvation is what we're referring to as a fabricated realm. So it, we give them names, we talk about nothingness or neither perception or non-perception, but any speculative establishment of a self out of this human body in this human moment is a fabricated realm. And so with, with just this simple practice, after just a couple of weeks, Saraputta had this complete realization. So yes. Great, yes. Uh, you, you, you taught a great sutta. Yeah, just one more, and just to tie up the piece on Saraputta, Kind of what John just said, after two weeks, which I guess could be seen as a pretty short time for some in the, in the, in the monastic community. Upon this realization, the qualities, of, this is Saraputta's words, the qualities of a mind arising in cessation, greed, aversion, and delusion were completely abandoned. Fully mindful of this attainment, he regarded the impermanence of all these past qualities. They arise, they become experience, and they pass away. And I think it's very helpful, as we said, the good destination and, you know, Saraputta goes in to explain what a bad destination is. That's sort of what John just got into, fabricating in another realm, continuing the craving, continuing a personalized experience, whether it's in another lifetime and another, you know, you can think of all of those. You can, you know, there's plenty of ways to fabricate that. We have to deal with our human life experience, you know working on training our mind for calm and concentration, then we can hold the space for the Dhamma to, to do some work on us. You know, we're, we're open then. <laughs> we're, not, we're not closed off to it. So I think that's where I'm going to leave it. Kevin, I had a question for you. Yes. The Sama said there were 11 doors. Mm-hmm. And the second three were these realms. So was he mistaken? I taught this class, yeah. and it, what's did he misunderstand it, or you know, that's probably better directed towards John. Sure. But I wanted to to add something on the twelve doorways that mm-hmm. I thought was unique, um, because this is sort of knocking on the door again. Not to get into it, we talk about this in other classes, but dependent origination. He's sort of saying your fabrications. Mm. Or what you need to, and, and so 
Let me, let me read but they're here. also referred to as doorways. These are things you pass through. Yes, and an other one of your yeah one of your one of your talks. Did Dishonor recognize that, or did he just say, "Hey, I was looking for one. You gave me 12. Right. Yeah. He may not have gotten gotten the whole thing there. Ram, through his experience in one of the old classes I was listening to, you described that the Buddha would describe a mind inflamed with passion as a burning house. And mm, that mm, these mm, 11 doorways can be mm, seen as exits out of the house. We've got to get out of the house. Yeah. So there's a way out of, you know, the four fabricated yeah, realms, right. not going to that's bad destinations. Right. Yeah. There's four. We've got it's the three marks of existence, understanding those, three yeah. other windows. When you find yourself in any one of those things, that's how I read it. Four levels of genre. You find yourself in any You're one out of the house. Things, keep keep yeah. your eye focused on... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cessation. Yeah. Even even in this here, um, the, the the numbering and the sequencing, we're 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 kind of seeing too much into it. It's just giving a list of, right. of things that are labeled and noticed as noted as fabrication. So we don't have to go any further than that. Agreed. We might be getting caught up in that the doorway is some metaphor for something bigger. It's just it's just like a it's like the the, the door says men and women, you know, so we know which room to go in. These are mm -hmm. just there's just something that we note, that's all, as far as we Good know. to know where the doors are. <laughs> that's, and, you know, I thought that it was interesting when I looked at this. The numbers. There's other, there's other shirts where, where the Buddha mentioned a different number of doorways. Mm -hmm. None of, that is, that's just getting, uh, getting a little bit too distracted in the details. And right. missing the point of what this, is, what this simple sutta is all about and how it delivers calm. Mm -hmm. So recognizing all fabrication, recognize them and abandon them. Right. But the thought finally realizes uh, is, is just a common people mind. Yeah. I think this, it, you know, and I'll probably just save it for an aside. I'll tell you about it after I stop. I don't want to put it on the record. But, you know, he said, if you're talking about fabrications, look at, look at the first step in dependent origination and how many links are there. So fabrications plus the 11 other equals 12. Funny coincidence. I won't go into any more than that. But probably, you know, the Buddha's numbers probably correlate in some reason. You know, I don't know why, but... 12 and 12, dependent origination, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Fabrications. Well, there's also sutras where the Buddhist teaching dependent origination in nine steps. So it, again, mm -hmm. it depends on the context. The context right. here that we're looking at is, is recognizing and abandoning fabrication. That's, that's yes. Yeah. All right. So before we get into uh, sacred geometry and mathematical. Uh, yeah. That is knowledge, so it's not to, you know, but uh, let's talk around the room and keep it back to the weekend. That's right, that's right. So let's go online to my friend Brian in Ohio. Nice to see you. See you. Uh, appreciate this. I think you have the most uh, tongue twisters I've heard in a long time. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was uh, intimidating. Yeah, I, I guess for me, when I just attack onto what John was just saying, like regardless of how many doorways there are, because you could add another eight for the full path too, right? So now you're right. it doesn't it doesn't matter what the the count is. It, it's yeah, all of this is just a a means to an end to understand your your fabrications and to to release them. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's it's interesting that you know when I first started this, like I didn't realize the path was a fabrication. I didn't realize the jobs were fabrications. And I think it's almost helpful to realize that they're just they're skillful tools on the journey. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. Um, they're not the destination. So I right. appreciate it, Kevin. Thank yes. you. Yes. All doorways, all that they lead to the good destination if we're practicing, you know, the Dhamma the right way, right? If we're if we're in right view, you know, right intention, right effort, etc. The, the the right effort and right view kind of uh, you know, sort of goalpost this sutta a lot. You can see that sort of, you know, understanding wrong view and practicing not wrong practice in four fabricated realms, right practice in the human realm, right? Very good. Thank you, Brian. Matteo. Hi, everybody. Uh, so my focus on this sort of fall on the five feathers, and uh, especially, you know, when I say to abandon the ritual and practice, mm-hmm. that's, uh, uh, you know, coming from other experience, tradition, you, you, you have a lot of like practice on pray and pray and bow and then uh, not to be disrespectful, but then you understand well, what's the point about that. Mm-hmm. So I said, oh, how we make it better my my life or the progress and understand it and, and then you, you realize it's just like another distraction. So another uh, distraction mm. rooted in ignorance, of course. Mm. Yes, yes. Uh it's it's wise that you said that, you know, we, we have enough to work on with the five lower fetters. We don't need to fabricate other realms. We've got enough work to do there, right? And that's a that's yeah. a lifetime of practice there. So thank you, my friend. Thank you. Uh, Jeff, my friend, how are you? Well, thank you, Kevin. Uh, well done. Thank you for the teaching. Thank you. Uh, yeah, my own my own uh, meditation was kind of on the rocks during my recovery, but uh, um, I'm doing fine now. What I what I did is I finally just gave up fighting it, and <laughs> what do you know? It's going great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I just, you know, I started out, I said, well, you know, I'm not getting anywhere, no matter how hard I try, I'll just set the alarm, I'll make myself sit for 20 minutes, screw it, I don't care, and it's going great. So, uh, you know, abandonment does work. You know? Yeah, that's that's inspiring right effort right there, that's, that, you, you know, you're, you've, you've been here every week for a, a good number of classes, so that's, that's, Inspiring to all of us. Um, yeah, thank you, Jeff. How about Dr. Kevin? Hello, hi everyone. Hi, Kevin. That was an extraordinary talk, Kevin. It was beautiful. I love the background that you gave, and it just filled it out. I feel like at the point where I am in my life right now, you were speaking directly to me, and I really needed it. Wow, thank you. So, for this morning, um, I won't be able to attend the next session, so I want to give my little summation here about how all this has affected me, too. Mm. Um, as all you know, as I started the retreat, and I referred to this before, I was, I've been very stirred up with excitement because of retirement and because of moving. And it, it really is just intense craving it's craving for more and more and more more of this life more of this change more of everything and it's been very difficult to settle even during meditation uh, just like Joe said too for different reasons but just these few dhamma talks in this retreat have helped me find that path once more mm-hmm. um, right now all is open and i have to continue to tread this path 
If I do stray from the path, if all could be lost. So I will redouble my efforts. And, and thanks to this retreat and thanks to every weekly talk, I can continue to do that. So it is enough. And um, I hope to continue to find that calm. So thank you very much. And thanks to everyone for all your comments during this retreat as well. Thank you, Kevin. That that was profound, uh, you know, honesty and insight that you just spoke to me. So we uh, you repaid the favor, <laughs> right to me, thank um, you. and to all of us here. Yeah, once it's your turn, I'll get it. Anthony. Good morning. Great job, Kevin. I do. I I like the background on Ananda. That was very um, very good. It, it added a lot of body to the to the sutta. And uh, uh, when I was when I listened to this at first, you were talking about the jhanas, and I said, "Oh, yeah, that's not going to happen to me. I'm not going to get too sucked into the jhanas because they have all this crazy stuff that come up and take me out." And then you talked about the fetters, so I go, "Oh, all right, that's me. <laughs> now you got me." Um, so to me, when I listened to this sutta, encapsulated the existential crisis that we all go through during the meditation. Right, this like intense pleasure from the jhanas, which we should not get sucked into because it's like drinking to get drunk. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, and then, then we have the fetters, which are not appealing, but for the same reason, we could we shouldn't get sucked into that because that's temporary and that's not permanent. And um, so. The, to me, that what this spoke to to me is the importance of just not letting the pleasure or the pain get to you in a meditation, and just continuing to plow on and focus on your breath and develop a deeper concentration, so that you can live a more a life more in balance with the four noble truths and the eightfold path. So, thank you for that. I appreciate yeah. it. I get this so I can see that. That's not be too much. Can, is that better? That's good. Yeah. Okay. So much. Thanks for seeing everybody. There really we go. Uh, Nina, hello. Hi. Um, I guess this is a bit of an echo, but this seems to really highlighted how um, the other side of the like emotional spectrum, like the empathetic joy, you about or the spaciousness or the pleasure that is also just impermanent that's not what we're looking for um so like this practice is an end there it's just constant work and self-awareness i'd like to see that yes yes that's a good point you know you notice when those feelings are present and when they are not present and and this is definitely where I've gotten stuck before, like just using meditation to reset and to feel good and then being like, okay, I feel good. Now I don't have to do this anymore. But then, you know, like it's a circle and you find yourself back to the feeling bad part. So it's not, that's not the goal. Feeling good is not the goal. Right, right. We can learn from Jeff and Kevin's mention of right effort there. You know, we, we just keep sitting, keep going. Yeah. Thank you, Kevin. You're welcome. Thank you. Who do we have left? Tom. Tom. Hello. Hi, Kevin. 
Uh, great to see everyone, by the way. Mm -hmm. That's the first time I've ever seen the room. Yeah, nice. it's, our, it's our new <laughs> new feature. Yeah, I've also got a plus one. Uh, Alex is his temporary. Hey, Alex. Oh. You guys are going to be teaching you someday. Yeah. Tested um, negative today, so it's the first day of recovery, I think. <clears throat> Very good. Gradually. Um, so, yeah, thanks a lot for the teachings. I guess what, what I took from it was um, around the four, the four jhanas and just noticing that they are all subject to cessation. Because I always used to think, you know, um, oh, you get to the fourth level and then you're really a master meditator and then that's it kind of thing. And yet you realize that even even that fourth jhana is subject to cessation. And just as we were hearing earlier, I think Brian mentioned it, it's, it's the tool, right? The meditation is the tool to get to that point where, um, where, where, where sort of craving and clinging is no more. Uh, and I think that really, really goes against a lot of things I'd learned about Buddhism previously, you know, or at least culturally we have this, um, you know, we imagine enlightenment to be sort of this experience that you have on your, on your meditation cushion that, that sort of, that, you know, is utterly sort of out of this world and transformative and, and something we can't even comprehend. Um, and yet it's, it's not, it's just deepening levels of concentration, which each and every time we, we have those, whatever of the four jhanas it is, it will be subject to cessation, um, um, you know, until we get to that point where we've sort of fully integrated the, the Dharma into our lives. So, um, that was, a um, uh, that was what I sort of, um, really took from, from, from the Sutta. So. Uh, yeah, thanks a lot, Kevin, for the teachings, and um, yeah, Thank great you. to see everyone, and uh, great to be here today. Thank you. Um, does Alex want to say anything? Alex, did you, would you like to say anything? I'll take no silence now. I'm resting my mind. Okay. <laughs> Good to see you. It should be noted that Alex, Tom, and Mateo are uh, teachers in training. They're going to they're be teachers wow. one day soon. One day soon. Yeah, one day. So, John, <laughs> we ask John, last, John, do you want to? Well, I just, the, we're going to conclude our retreat um, All right. with our 12 o'clock session. That's going to be on the Jhana Sutta that gets into what we, what you touched on, what Tom just mentioned in a little bit uh, <laughs> more detail. Uh, and, and Tom's right, these, these, these levels of meditative absorption are just, uh, they're, they're taught just to, so that we know that our meditation practice is actually bearing fruit, but they're not uh, levels to, that we should acquire or think that they're static in any way. They're, they're, just, they're just another teaching tool. And in that way, the, uh, the, the four levels, and there's other sutras where the Buddha talks about different levels, uh, but they're all really resolved in these four levels, but these four levels are fabricated. So just as uh, in this sense of the Buddha talks about the first level is a fabrication. Well, they're all a fabrication. But what does it mean? It means, as and Tom was alluding to this, it just means that as we're developing our Dhamma practice, we're still living within a fabrication rooted in ignorance. So everything has the tin of, tinge of fabrication until we awaken. As, you know, it took Saraputta a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, it took some, takes some of us a little bit longer, but that's all part of the process. You know, we're all dealing with this this notion of a fabricated mind 
but the, the understanding of that begins with just the simple fact of accepting. Yeah, it's like, I'm a human being, my mind is fabricated because of a lack of understanding. That's all. So okay. yeah, I, the, the, the last sutta will, will, will get into this just a little bit deeper. Okay. All right. Let's go around the room. Jane, in the back. Here, I got it. Get you. <laughs> Thank you for the teaching. I appreciate your, I don't know if enthusiasm is the right word, but like your commitment and your love for the Dhamma. It comes through when, when you teach. Um, for me, I like to keep things simple. And it's just about keep your eye on the prize. And the prize is a calm and peaceful mind. So anything that comes up that distracts from that, you know, let it go. And Lead you to the common peace thing. Thank you, Fern. I guess I'll go in the back. <laughs> okay. I, I, I can go next. Okay. Um, thank you, Kevin, for the You're teaching. Welcome. That was really Julie? Per- perfect. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Um, I wrote some notes, so I'm going to go through some Please. of the notes that I have. The first thing, this question that, that, that the Salma asks was complicated, and it's really not that complicated when you look at it. It's like very simple. It, He's saying, um, what's a single, the single quality that would attain release from clinging and ignorant views, right? So that's, that's easy enough. We all understand that type of question. And well, we all know the answer. What is a single quality that we need? Um, a, a mind that is well concentrated. Um, and how do we get there? Jhana. And it goes into this elaborate um, explanation of jhana. And um, he's like, well, first level jhana, impermanent. Second level, impermanent. Third, impermanent, impermanent, impermanent. Um, and the explanation is, well, they're fabrications. But the reason why they're fabrications, jhana is not, you know, itself, in itself, in its purity. We are the ones who make it become a fabrication because we cling to it. When we are in, in, in jhana, um, I know myself. There, are, there have been times when I've gotten into, you know, a, di- a deeper level of jhana, and um, I, I, you know, I felt like, wow, this expanse. I just want to stay here forever. <laughs> I want this, and it's, it's, you know, as soon as you say that, bam, out of there. You're, you're, yeah. you're out. You're out of the door. It, it, right. it literally boots you out. You lost your concentration, and you started to actually really grasp and cling to that that state of being and and it's like no that's that's you're not you're never gonna get to liberation that way you'll get stuck you'll constantly get snagged and then if you walk you know then you're sitting down and your next meditation is like i can't wait to get there again (laughs) and it's like that that's that's the fabrication that's that's how we get caught up in 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 the whole fabricating of you know wanting so badly um and so he goes through all the gates and the last gates are three marks of existence. Because each gate, I mean, each time we enter, we have to realize it's impermanent. Keep on, keep your concentration. Don't lose it. Mm-hmm. Keep your concentration, and you finally, you'll finally be liberated, and you'll have the understanding of the three marks of existence. That's why it's the final gate. Mm-hmm. Those are the final gates because we have to understand we're impermanent. Everything around us is impermanent, and. Mm-hmm. That's the understanding that we have to have, so we don't suffer anymore. We don't suffer right. too much. Our personal contribution. Exactly. Right? So that's 
That's my piece on that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank That's you. Cool. Michael. Hey, Kev. Uh, nice job, as usual. Uh, thank you, too. I understand everything's a fabrication. You know, I understand the process of the, the genres and uh, understanding correctly what they are as a fabrication. Uh, the breath in the breath in the body is impermanent. Okay, that's you know if there's anything more relatable, there's a couple of things that are very relatable when it comes to impermanence. Breath or the breath in the body, you know, is probably the best. Okay, mm -hmm. but every every day we look in the mirror. Okay, there's a subtle change every moment because we are impermanent, uh, and as the Buddha said, like uh, take to the Dhamma like your your hair's on fire, your head's on fire, whatever he said. Uh, uh, there's an urgency there because of this impermanence. But what I also like about uh, the whole concept about uh, you know, obviously the three marks of existence and uh, Nietzsche itself is. Again, John said this the other day, and it, it really uh, you know, resonates within me uh, when he had said that, like, again, that impermanence is the understanding of it. Yes, it's painful to think that everything is impermanent, but at the same time, that impermanence is what sets us, what liberates us. <laughs> so the, the antidote, the antidote to our suffering is right there so close. And it like literally balances on the head of a needle. On what side do you want to go to? Do you want to stand or to choose to stay in ignorance? So that's part of what I got out of this. Uh, going to the eleven doors or twelve doors it doesn't matter how many doors. Okay, really, as John said. Uh, but the four fabricated realms is something I always. I'm not stuck on them, mm -hmm. but I have to understand them before I can abandon them. Mm -hmm. Now, the first two are relatively straightforward, okay? But I think there's a lot of, uh, I think there is something to be understood in the, the fourth one, perce uh, perceptions and uh, non-perception. I truly believe that. I truly believe the understanding of my interpretation of perception Perceptions is attachment. Perception forms an impression in the mind. That's an attachment to me. And I actually almost think that's like name and form. I am, ch I am choosing that which I like or choosing that which I dislike or form a dislike for. So I, and like that for me helps me understand that, that like. When I view, or, or when I try to live my life going forward, I tr I, I'm thinking of my desire, okay? And I'm, I perfect, I, I'm steeped in the understanding, or the belief, I should say, that's still in the mind by, by uh, quieting uh, and then abandoning desire is what liberates us. Mm -hmm. So. Understanding perception and non-perception, attachment and non-attachment, to me, serves a purpose. So I can understand that as being a fabricated realm, and I can abandon that, but I need to know that. Because I can't just say, uh, oh, it's a fabrication, there's, what is, there's nothing to it. There is actually an understanding that has to be understood in order for you to abandon it, or at least for me. 
So, Michael, what is your understanding of the realm of perception, neither perception nor non-perception? Well, I look at, as I, as I had just said, I said uh, perception to me is attachment. You form an attachment. Okay, well, what, is your, what is your understanding of the realms of neither perception nor non-perception? You're, non you're describing what perception means to you. What is the acquisition of those realms? This is what we're, the, what I'm pointing at is the important point here is that these are, these are realms that are uh, non-existent. They're not, they're, they're, they're not, they're not, they're to be understood simply as a fabrication. There's nothing there to understand. There's nothing underlying the fact that they're just fabricated realms with no substance. It's not so much, it's just, it's just like the understanding of the process of, of perceiving. And, and choosing not to perceive. But do you understand a, that? Do yeah. you understand that, though? I understand it. Right. Yes, so I do understand it. it so I can let it go. Cool. That's 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 <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That's my argument. Uh -huh. I can I understand it. Okay. That's why I do let it go. I I can't let something go unless I have an understanding of it because then I don't know what I'm letting go of. Uh, I got you. you know, I can't true. abandon yeah. it. With a, you know. Just be careful that you don't get into into the effort. Of, uh, of understanding that you're not getting into the effort to attain this this understanding mm -hmm. uh, you you won't get there by having a goal you can only get there by abandoning the fabrications where you are now I understand that that. I, I do understand mm -hmm. this isn't a goal this is just a process of understanding as okay. we would try to understand the process of dependent origination I understand the fabrications. The dependent origination is fabrication too. At the end of the, at the end of the day, okay. So I understand that. I'm just saying for myself, in order for me to move forward, I like to under, understand or have a, a clear idea of what it is that is occurring and what it is that I am abandoning. Mm -hmm. I would almost what what. Um, you know, what are you abandoning then? Because it sounds, well, in I some actually, sense, that's a de that's that's desire to understand. You know, you're 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 expressing desire. and skillful and desire. well, again, there's to, to bring him back in. I didn't use this one, but Sariputta again was asked, "What does our teacher teach?" And he said, "Having been asked, you should reply skillfully. Our teacher teaches the subduing of passion and the subduing of desire." He goes into a whole reason and explains the five clinging aggregates. But you know, that's we're subduing our passion and desire to <laughs> understand those four fabricated realms. We have to True. understand and trust in that Sariputta has told us that it's not going to get us where we're looking. And he, that's that's what he referred to. This is sort of the right and the wrong. He said, that's a bad destination to go to. Kevin, let, let, Kevin, if I could, let's not let's not lose sight of what this particular sutta is about and how it fits in our re, on our in our retreat, our weekend called our weekend retreat called Positive. We're here to develop common peaceful mind, not to touch on every form of the Dhamma. And so, this particular sutta that we're talking about points to the single quality of mind necessary for awakening: concentration, calm. And so at any time that we're grasping after anything, our minds are not calm. We're not resting in jhana. We're not resting in concentration. And so the, the reason why we recognize the, a, another realm 
that the Buddha might have mentioned if he was alive today, it might, there might be five fabricated realms, and that might be something we call heaven. And most of us would understand that even if we might believe that in heaven, you can't describe it, you can't understand it. I mean, I guess we describe it in, you know, in ways that we can make human sense, but it's just as amorphous. These, these, aren't, these aren't things to be grasping after. They're just to recognize they're a, they, they take us out of our well-concentrated and calm, peaceful mind when we grasp after that. There's nothing there. Absolutely. Again, let's let, remember what this, we're, we're, we're focused on this one sutta, the single quality for awakening. That's all. Thank you. How can you abandon ignorance if you don't even know you're ignorant? Because you've taken the step. Because you've taken the step to come here. Because you but realize. That's a desire to understand ignorance, so I can really. Initial it. your. That's your that's initial yeah, contact with. That's a skillful with, desire. It's a yeah. Skillful yeah, it's your initial contact to that's right the, whole, the whole point of the knowledge is recognizing and abandoning ignorance. He's understanding ignorance. his ignorance so he can release it, right? Is that yes. it? He's just following a saying? precautionary tale to say. Don't get too distracted. Don't get too distracted by that. I'm trying to understand. But he's saying the sutta is about what, exactly what he's saying. John's just throwing up a caution. Yeah. He's allowed to do that. But I think it's misunderstood right now. His, he's not having a desire. He's understanding ignorance. And if we can't understand ignorance or we can't understand beliefs that were given to us when we were children, it's like we're reborn now. We're understanding ourselves right. in a whole new way. Dustin, the, 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 fine, the fine point, I'm talking to, the fine point isn't understanding ignorance. It's understanding that we are ignorant of four noble truths. So it's developing an understanding of these four simple truths. Again, that, that's quite different than understanding the nature of ignorance. I have to understand the, in fact, the Eightfold Path, to find the fourth fact of the eight, of the fourth noble truth is the Eightfold Path, the path that generates that type of understanding of ending ignorance of four noble truths. So again, it, it, we're, because we're trying to see too much in this sim, simple sutta, I think we're losing the fact of what that is, what's necessary to end ignorance of four noble truths. That's a single quality. It's not something that is beyond human capability. It's not even that difficult to, to develop. Saraputta did it in two weeks. A deep, well-concentrated mind. That's all. That's all. So, but aren't we yeah, here yeah. as a group to explain how we get to that point? Like, it sounds like you're explaining well, your process of how you've gotten there. Everybody gets there differently, right? Well, everybody gets there dif differently within the framework of the Eightfold Path. So again, we might be, we might be, and I'm, I'm not trying to argue with Michael or anybody here. Just to point out that we can make, in general, we can make something out of these fabricated realms when there's nothing to make of them. There's not, um, if we're going to understand, the, 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 the way that I would teach it is that there's nothing there to understand. It's just simply to be recognized that we're grasping after the understanding is the distraction. So I guess that's the best way to say it. The thing that I have to understand the realm of nothingness is is an impossible task for a human being to do, so we don't grasp after that. The same is true as the other fabricated dimensions, such as, do I have to understand Christian heaven, or do I need to understand uh, a, a Muslim establishment of an afterlife, or the common Buddhist establishments of afterlife or non-physical realms? No, I need to recognize them as fabrications, let them go, and get back to my Dharma practice framed by the Eightfold Path. So, Michael, you understand I'm not trying to argue with you, do you? 
no, I'm not taking. I'm not taking uh, taking anything personally here, John, at all. I'm just uh, expressing a, a view of mine. Um, oh yeah, that, that, that this is the right forum for that, and it's also yes. the right forum for for us to discuss it in detail. Yes, and as I said, like uh, I as it, you know, I do believe there is there's a reason there's. Uh, 11 door uh, how many 11 doorways and the, and the last three of the three marks of existence there's I mean these are the Buddha's words and these 11 doorways are I'm assuming uh, I'm not a historian or I don't know the uh, you know uh, the fine details of, of how the 11 doorways were developed or came into you know came to be but being that they're there and we're studying them uh, and again uh, Doorways are that for us to go through to, uh, you know, have greater understanding. You know, from as as we go through each doorway, leading up all the way to the three marks of existence. Then now we have our profound understanding of three marks of existence when we understand the first eight realms, the first you know uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, eight doors. After we've gone through them, so now we we have to understand now the three marks of existence <coughs> after we have. Abandon the, the through understanding the first eight, or we have gone through them, so to say. So that's all I'm doing is like I'm just following the process. It's logical. I'm not trying to be over analytical, but uh, when I think of uh, and I, I I believe I'm uh, unless I'm interpreting interpreting this incorrectly, but perception is actually attachment, as I had mentioned before. Attachment also is part of name and form, and this is what you know builds up our conditioned thinking and our karma. So there is a, uh, for me, if my understanding is correct, and if I'm wrong, I'll just sit here and be quiet, but, uh, and of course, that would just be my own ignorance, not having the right knowledge here. So I'm just kind of, I'm seeking to understanding to help my mind uh, be more clear in relation to the path I'm following. I understand that the Eightfold Path is just for that, for unattachment, detachment, and unattachment. I completely understand that because the three marks of existence to me, when you understand three marks of existence, that's selflessness. You become selfless. Selfless is compassion. Compassion is selfless. So if you're going to be on the Eightfold Path, and if you're going to uh, hold the Eightfold Path in mind, yeah, you're going around with an arms bowl, you're, or you're nothing, you're not attached to anything, so you basically have gone through that doorway of non-attachment. So that's where the peace and calm and equanimity arise from. That's, in my, that's just my interpretation of what's presented. <clears throat> I don't know if it's right or wrong. That's why I'm throwing it out there, because obviously uh, I believe it's something that should be discussed or at least someone uh, impart clarity so that I understand it better. It's a skillful desire if it's any. If it's any. So. Sorry for uh, blowing up the sun. No, it's here. all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have time to go around. All right. Chasing. I gotta go to work. <laughs> I'm chasing Becky? Out of here. Thank you. Fred, I'll call you later. I'll explain everything. <laughs> <laughs> Answer your phone this time. <laughs> word that we may have lost sight of in this conversation 
And that word is empasico. <clears throat> That's why I'm here. <laughs> and empasico to me means experience. You must experience the Dhamma. You must experience the cessation of a fabrication. You can't understand it, no matter how much reading you do, no matter how much analysis you give it. And I'm not saying that you, sh you shouldn't read and analyze. These things go together. But if you don't experience the actual cessation of one of your fabrications, no matter how small, or no matter how big, you will not, you will not get there. And the number of doors, if you read that statement, 11 doorways, all leading to the single point of cessation of fabricated views. And that is what takes an enormous amount of concentration and effort and sitting. You cannot do it without sitting. And when you sit, it doesn't matter. What you go through when you sit is, is just really an examination of how your mind is working and how your mind is sabotaging you. And you only begin to realize that. You can only realize that. If you just have like a slight speck of dust in your eye, you do not think that you're too important and you have some concentration. So that's my little... Uh, Thank you, Becky. <laughs> yes. We need a sound effect. <laughs> Wonderful. Yes, Epicico. That is that was very apt. You know, through time, in time, and through experience, we come to know what cessation is. That's mm -hmm. that was well said. We Thank you. We have experience perception. We all have I know. experience perception. Let's let's leave that one for now, if if we may, if if we can. Sure. We'll that may be a Tuesday or Saturday discussion. Dustin. Um, yeah. For me, the 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 thing that really I understood was when you said, "Don't chase feelings." Like out of all the sutta and everything that you said, and all these doorways, when you mm -hmm. said, "Don't chase feelings," I got it. Mm -hmm. Like, sometimes it feels it's too complicated, you know, all the doorways and going through all this stuff. A simple thing, like, don't chase feelings. I was like, I got it. And then the passion of the burning house, being the burning house, boom. Yeah. Mind blown, right? I got what is being taught here mm -hmm. through those two images and one description. The cessation of a burning mind and flame with passion. That's makes brilliant. Perfect brilliant. Sense. It makes perfect sense. Brilliant. I can put anger to that. I could, you know, I could put all of these brilliant. things that are distracting me and the doorways to get out is just that well-concentrated mind mm -hmm. which leads to yeah. the calmness that mm. 
boy, I would love to live in that calm space more often than not. You can. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Rob. Good. Good discussion. I like it. Yeah, I I like this sort of for for the the just showing the utter simplicity of of jhana. It is just so simple, and but it is just also so easy to make it more than what's really there. It is just going for concentration. Everything else falls away. Mm-hmm. Everything else has to fall. That's it. We abandon everything. We just leave concentration until there is nothing between our mind and the world to see what it is. There it is. And yeah, the single quality, concentration. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. Laura. Yeah, I like what Ron just said. It's like when you live your life in the context of the Four Noble Truths, you observe and experience things almost like a mirror, like just a reflection on it is what it is. Like I, I've been thinking about that a lot, and um, you're able to just see things or experience things without labels or feelings or perceptions or fabrications, and it's, it's simple, like Jane said, like, yeah, and it's sometimes we can get caught up in and wanting to experience or know more at that point in time, but you know maybe that'll come later. But that's how I feel like when I experience these things. It's like a, literally just a mirror reflection. Mm. Yeah, seeing things clearly is a result of concentration and, and, yeah. a, and a calm mind. Concentration right? and calm. Just, yes. Yes. Well, well said. Thank you. Jen, teacher Jen. Teacher Ram, excuse me. So, I mean... You do it for me. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like the, uh, you know, in in my journey through learning and practicing the Dhamma and then teaching the Dhamma, I have noticed that you know, reading a sutta, listening to a sutta, listening to a teaching, preparing a teaching generally brings a feeling or a sensation of calm. Mm-hmm. Um, just by like reading the words of the Buddha or discussing the words of the Buddha. Except for the <laughs> suttas that have to do with jhanas. Because of my own wanting to understand what the heck he is talking about (laughs) in these last, you know, these, I don't even know how many there are. Like I don't, the perception and the non-perception and the the consciousness and and I've had conversation after conversation with John being like, I don't don't get it. He made me teach one. I still (laughs) was like stuck on it. Like what is happening here? What's going on? Until until you know, the only way now that I can kind of sink into these teachings without the agitation is to kind of write off this 
that portion of it as teachings that were designed for <clears throat> people who were practicing something that I don't understand mm. that was a fabrication and therefore I don't I don't need to understand it it's mm -hmm. kind of like mm -hmm. trying to under almost like trying to understand you know a completely different culture and a com in a completely different language it's just mm -hmm. not gonna make sense so that's that's where I, that's how I, cause I can get to the one, two, three, four genres. I understand that I can experience that. But when I try to start understanding the other, the other ones now, whether that's that and that, even that understanding for me is a fabrication, but it's allowing me in this moment to like, just let go of trying to understand it. So, yeah. And is, right. is it enough to know that the Buddha learned they were students of and then asked to be teachers of these schools of meditation and he said that these were not to be taught, to be taught. these are not to be this does not get me to my goal of the cessation of suffering is that enough that I, do i need to reinvent it do i need to go down that path yeah. myself and have that same confusion and i say no Go ahead, David. I thought you were done. Go ahead, John. I'm done. Wait, the, what you, we have to remember the context. Just as the, the first jhana, directed thought and evaluation, we pass through that. The same thing is these other realms that are taught in, in these suttas on jhana. They're just as temporary and just as insig insignificant. In other words, That's the first. these were the reference to, to, to these different realms, the realms of nothingness, infinite space, infinite consciousness, neither perception nor non-perception, were just names given to fabricated realms. There's not One doesn't have more significance over the other, and they're not unrelatable to today in the idea of heaven or afterlife or some kind of cosmic establishment. They're all nonsense. So they're, 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 we are spending way too much time on even trying to understand them because they're just that they're not they're not to be understood except in this way to recognize them as fabricated establishments or destinations that we are not to pursue we don't need to go any further than that there was something it was just like just like i was taught when i was a little boy that if i follow the ten commandments i'm going to get to heaven these realms are just as fabricated as that so they're and, fabricated and just, realms. Just they have fabricated. a certain label yeah, on it that we like might not understand. Okay. 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 Doesn't put, doesn't give them any weight that, that we should even pursue that understanding. Just more Again, remember the context. Might go to yeah. Don't go there. John, you you <laughs> said that to me before five or six times. So thank you. Jeff has a question. Jeff, because I'm going to teach you what a cattle prod. Ahead, Am I wrong to understand that they aren't to be grasped and understood, but to be abandoned? Yeah. Yes. The more you analyze it, the more you cling to it. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Right? So, and, 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 and they really any speculative, uh, any certain seeking after any speculative self of a burning house, not yes. doors to go back into the burning yes. house. Yes, yes, <laughs> correct. That's what we were 
Yeah. Thank you. Good one, Julia. Um, <laughs> there are eleven doors, but if you're in a burning house, you usually run out one door. Hmm. These, these are eleven doors you have to go through to become hmm. liberated. No, no, no. Think of them as windows. You do not have to go through. No. Them. Well, no. you can become enlightened like this with first jhana, but no, that's the, it's it's kind of like the levels of co concentration, is it not? The, 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 the no. first level of jhana is the first level of concentration. The second we're gonna, level is the second we're level gonna of talk, concentration. We're going to talk more about this in this afternoon session. So why don't we save yeah. the, the getting into the deeper levels of jhana until this afternoon. Let's just try and... I'm David. Uh, I'm Mary. I feel like um, today explained... Like after last night, I went home and reread... Um, the sutta with Dhammadin and, and um, understood it and then I feel today explains it even further. So the connectivity from the beginning of this retreat to you know right now between all the suttas that are selected have just brought you know some real awareness and accountability and uh, possibility to what we're doing here. This is grown-up work and um, you know, we need to treat it as such. So thank you, thank Kevin. You I really appreciate each of you have such a unique style and mm -hmm. I think it brings so much life to how each of you, you know, what you bring to your presentation. So I know that that was a lot of work and I appreciate it. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Mary. Lauren. Thank you so much, Kevin. Um, the extra information you added really helped. Yeah my understanding of the sutta and um, I just want to say it being in um, a retreat setting has been so great for integrating a lot of these um, understandings so so many conversations that I had with everyone yesterday in between our learning sessions really tied a lot of the sutta specifically together and then this conversation that we've had sitting here um, and basically what what I'm getting out of it today is that um, there's not just 11 doorways, there's countless doorways to the same spot, the same treasure, right, of calm and liberation. And we learn the theoretical ideas behind identifying those different doorways here as a Sangha by studying the suttas, and then it's through our experience out in the world that we actually encounter all these doorways. And that's really, um, I, I don't know the word, that's, um, you know, like at first you're like, oh God, I have to run in terror from all these mental fabrications. And, <laughs> but actually, no, every moment there's another opportunity. Like, don't worry, there's gonna be another doorway, another doorway, another doorway. And you can just spend your whole life like that, like looking for those doorways, you know, getting stuck in your mind, losing your mind, and then making your way right back to it. Mm. You're never at a loss for opportunities to do that. You always have yep. the chance to calm your mind yeah. Yeah. through, through what you learn here. Yeah. Very good. And that's taken off of your cushion with your practice. Right. Very, very good. You're describing the integration. So, thank you. Matt. Teacher Matt. Excellent job, Kev. Founder. Really appreciate how you brought out the single quality. And that, you know, kind of kind of to go back to what Jeff said, 
in his original comment, which was, hey, it's great. I meditate 20 minutes a day, and I sit there, and I do it, and what am I doing there? It's a good realm. Yeah. It's, it's, good that's, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm establishing, uniting my mind and my body, and coming back to the sensation of breathing, and establishing calm. And I thought you you did a masterful job bringing that out of this sutta. And everyone here, as we experienced agitation and and excitement and and worry and and you know all of the different emotions that we felt, as the quality of our mind changed, we know we have the tools to recognize the quality of our mind. Well, it's there. Come back to the sensation of breathing in the body and return our re- return our minds into our bodies here now so just a just another another great class i'm really really happy with the with the way the sangha contributed today and you know we're not going to get answers all the time mm-hmm. you know this isn't about giving answers this isn't about getting answers this is about engaging with and taking responsibility for what's coming up in us moment by moment by moment. So, thanks all. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you. Teacher David. I'm good. I'm good, thank you. <laughs> I guess that uh, will conclude our session. So, we will... Uh, we can conclude with meta. Do we have the time to do that? Are we? Do we run over a little, or? Why don't we? Why don't we forego that? Yeah. Now? Okay. Going. We'll I'll, we'll get I'll it get, next session. I'll be I'll be there in about a half hour. Okay. Are you bringing Bonnie? Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you all. <laughs> See you in a little bit. Recording. Hey guys, I wanted to just make say something. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.